Well, good morning, Vintage Church. How are you doing this morning? Come on, y'all doing all right? It's good to see you. For those of you who may be visiting for the first time or the first time in a long time, my name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here, and you are here on a very special week as we launch a brand new message series entitled, I Will Build My Church. We're together over the next five weeks. We're going to be ramping up to our Liberty Hill launch. How many of you guys excited about that? Come on. Man, I've spent a lot of time with Pastor Nathan and the team down there, and I'm just going to tell, I'm I'm tell you, of all the, thing, all the times we've launched, it's never felt stronger than it does right now. That area is so prime for a church like our church, and I do want to just up front say thank you so much. The reality is, and me and Nathan were talking about this uh, the other week, is none of, it would be, none of it would happen if people who, quite frankly, don't need a church in Liberty Hill didn't love the people in Liberty Hill enough to pay for it. And so put your hands together. Thank you for paying the bills. And getting that church launched. We still have a little bit of a ways to go, so I want to encourage you, just make sure if you designate any money, I know the video said it, but as long as you click the Liberty Hill account, all of those funds will go into paying off the remaining invoices we have and all the different things coming in uh, for that location. And so we're going to jump in to our brand new series Um, I want to encourage you, if you are just coming back to church, or maybe you're new and I haven't had a chance to meet you, I would love to connect with you right outside at the guest suite. Also want to encourage, if you haven't already, jump into a small group. The beginning of a message series is a great time to do that. You can jump in anytime, but here at Vintage, we do teaching series small groups, and so all of our uh, small groups follow what we're talking about in the service. And so for those of you who like a little bit more of a deep dive into the content, that's a great place to do that while you're building uh, connections with with others. You can download the app, you can search small groups, you can follow along with notes. If for some reason you miss a week, you can hop in and you can watch it there as well. So as we kick off this series, you know, when we talk about something like the local church, specifically something that Jesus himself promised to build, that we're all a part of, it can be kind of like, well, where do you start, you know? Where do you start? Like, what would you talk about first? And I wanted to start with, with this question. When you look around the world, right? We're in today. When you scroll through your social media feed, when you listen to the news or watch the news, if you still do that, does it seem like the world's getting better? Does it seem like, it just seems like we're headed in a great direction. You know, for the last 50 years or so, our nation in particular, this happened in Europe about a hundred years before that, our nation in particular started uh, becoming more and more, how how could you say it uh, today, woke, We started coming up with these new novel ideas that have never been tested. Actually, they had been tested, they just never worked before. But we thought, hey, because we have an iPhone, we can make it work. So our our culture started moving away from a foundation that really is a biblical foundation in the Judeo-Christian ethic. This idea that your future is only in your hands and God's hands, and if you put God first, you can do incredible things with your life no matter where you came from and no matter what's happened to you, there's always a way forward. We've moved away from that to a little bit more of like this, hey, you know what, let's just turn and point our fingers at everyone else. You know, hey, let's, let's just abandon personal responsibility and start talking about our individual rights. By the way, none of us have individual rights without taking responsibility, right? You have to start with responsibility first. And you know, as our culture's moved away from this, you've noticed, right? If you're older, you've probably noticed it even more. Things aren't getting better, they're actually getting worse. And you know, it's tempting in these moments, especially if you're a believer, especially if you know, you're, you're following God, you, you've been connected to the church for quite some time. 
it's tempting in those moments to think that, man, there has never been a worse time to plant a church. There's never been a worse time for the church. Man, it's just so dark in the world, I just don't know how we're gonna make it. But when you look back in history, and that's the benefit of history, don't throw it away, young person, right? It doesn't have to define you, but it can certainly be a foundation for you to grow from. Don't throw it away. Because if you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it. History is very, very good in that way. And when you look back in history and you look at the, the time frame when Jesus says, I will build my church. I know you think it's dark today. It was a lot darker back then. The Roman Empire historically was literally the worst, most wicked, depraved culture on planet Earth. The strong dominated the weak. They had a disregard for life that, believed it or not, actually outdid our disregard for life today in our culture. It was a wicked, wicked place, and yet it's in this place that Jesus came, God with us, Emmanuel. He chose that this, and by the way, nothing ever happens by accident. This is where God put the light of the world, the nativity, right in the middle of that. And did you know that God also, this is the same place that Jesus plants the church. As a matter of fact, in his ministry, he's teaching his disciples, and many people don't realize this. They think that when he looked at his disciples, he was like, follow me, and they were like, they never met him before. And they said, yeah, I think that feels good. I'm gonna do it. That's actually not what happened. He was likely ministering and doing miracles and teaching for about a year. And so he was in a room like this, without the lights, maybe without the walls, right? A little more breeze. Okay, but he was talking to a crowd. This is a crowd. The church started right here. And he's talking to a crowd about the kingdom and, and about what he has planned and what he wants to do in redeeming the world in the middle of the most wicked culture on planet Earth. And one day he, he gathers, and he has different various, uh, various levels of meetings. You know, He had the big crowd, right? He's the multitudes. The Bible says Jesus had compassion on them. But then you can distill it down to kind of the 120 that kind of followed him around a lot. And then the 72, and then the 12, and then the three inner circle. And John would say he was the favorite, so his best friend, John. And he's with his 12, the people who he would use, ordinary fishermen like me and you, although we may not fish, we're ordinary people doing ordinary jobs. We get up, we go to work, we love our family, right? He used those people to change the world. And he's walking one day, and he starts walking in a direction that no good Jewish boy would ever go. It's, a, it's toward, really, uh, the most wicked city on earth. You know, we have several cities in our world that you could say are the most wicked cities. I won't say them in case you're from there. Okay? But they, but they have a reputation for licentiousness. They have a reputation for, for cruelty. They have a reputation, you know, for gun violence. They have a reputation... <laughs> They have a reputation. And they just, people usually just walked around it, as a matter of fact. They would just go around it. Jesus starts walking straight at it. Imagine this for a minute. Jewish boys that he called. These are Jewish boys. Man, they, they spent their whole life avoiding this place, hearing stories about this place. And here Jesus is going straight at it. And they get closer, and you can imagine, you know, Caesarea Philippi, 5,000 steps on the sign, you know, <laughs> 1,000 donkey links. I don't know. <laughs> but they're walking down. And they get closer. It's a thousand steps, then 500 steps. And Jesus starts asking his disciples questions. What do people say about me? In other words, like, what's the word on the street? What's, what's, what's on the Twitter? I love Betty White. She used to always call it the Twitter. What's on the Twitter? 
What, what, what are people saying about me? And they say all kinds of things. Same things people say about Jesus today. You're a good teacher. You're a prophet. You're a good man. You're my homeboy. <laughs> and after he hears them for a little while, he turns to them. And he says, the only question that matters is why we're doing this series. He looks at him and he says, who do you say that I am? And on a rare moment where Peter doesn't stick his foot in his mouth, the Holy Spirit moves on him, and Jesus says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And it's from that in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus, our key verse here, says this, now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. And all, everyone say all. Even ours, all powers of evil for all time, for all people. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. There's a couple of things I want you to notice here as we kick off our series. And by the way, in all of our series, we lay a foundation and we build on it. Because uh, I think that's important. We gotta start, this is the foundation for everything we're doing here. Two things I want you to notice here. The first is, the rock is the revelation of Jesus as Messiah. He's saying, on this rock, that revelation, on that moment where you believe and you give your life to Christ, it's on the understanding of my grace to humanity through the cross and the resurrection. It's on that rock and foundation I'm going to build my church. It wasn't on his teachings or him being a good guy or your homeboy. It was him being your Lord and your Savior. By the way, that's what unites us here in what he's building called the church. It is our context. Second, I want you to focus on the person of Peter because I do think it, it matters. Because when you look at Peter, um, he had some stuff lacking in his life. He had some shortcomings. He had some things that he was working out. When you study Peter in the New Testament, he still had some things he was working out. He still struggled. He was called out by the Apostle Paul a couple of times. He was still in this process, and he looks at Peter, and he says, on this rock, think about this, Peter, an everyday working person. He wasn't a philosopher or a theologian. He wasn't an intellectual or the one voted most likely to succeed. He likely wasn't a genius, maybe a little bit smarter than we thought in hindsight. Don't you guys wish one day people will think that about us? Hey, he's a little bit smarter in hindsight. <laughs> he was normal. Jesus looked at him and he said on, to that Peter, upon that person, I'm going to build my church. And so some of the questions we're going to be answering in this series, and I, I really, in a world where, I'm just going to be honest with you, the further we get away from God and his purpose and what he's building, the worse our world gets. Here's my advice to you. Skip a football game and come to church. My advice to you is if you have not gone to a new members event, the reason we keep talking about it is because it is your next step. Because there is greater fulfillment and greater things God wants to do in and through you than sitting here listening to a sermon. By the way, if messages don't move you to change, stay at home and watch the football game. That's the point of what we're doing here. And, and so really come. You don't even have to sign up. Matter of fact, we'll double the Bobby Lupo's order. If you haven't had Bobby Lupo's pizza, it's awesome. We're feeding your kids. I think they might even have a gluten-free hippie option too. I'm kidding. Gluten does hurt your stomach. I don't like gluten either. But come hang out with us. But here, here's some of the things that we're thinking. I, I, what I'm saying is 
if, 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 listen, if you're a cheater and you only come Christmas and Easter and this is a resolution for you, don't worry about the whole year. Just come for the next seven weeks. Because I think God's gonna do something in us as a spiritual family that's connected to what he's doing at Liberty Hill. It's connected to what he did at Belton last year. It's connected to how we move forward as a church family. And so I wanna encourage you, go to a new members event, don't miss a week of this series. So how can we embrace God's plan, Christ's plan for this family, this local church? You know, the three things that Jesus said to the crowds that describe what he does in groups of believers. He says, we're a city on a hill. One person isn't a city, one church isn't a city. A city is a bunch of families that have come together to do something. He calls us salt. Think about salt in a dark world. It gives taste and enriches. It also preserves. You know, the world may be going to hell in a handbasket, but God's given us something to do to help it, to reach it. It matters. He calls us a shining light. You know, one light can be kind of bright, but our light together is always brighter than our light alone. We're gonna be discovering some of how this works. And I started thinking like, where do I start? Where do I start? You know, I grew up in the church, I really did. I, I, uh, somebody sent a bus an hour and a half away to pick me up and bring me to church. Somebody that didn't know me paid a very expensive bill and took a lot of liability in the hood to come get me. <laughs> and, and, and I grew up in a trailer park and and I mean, my, my dad left when I was five. It was a disaster. But when I was about eight and a half, almost nine years old, somebody sent a bus. And that bus, I would be adopted by somebody in the church. I would be raised by about three couples in the church. I would learn what it means to follow God. I would meet my wife. By the way, if you, if, if, if you listen, everyone loves my wife. They like me. Come on, somebody, be married someone like that. <laughs> I met my wife. We started building a life together. We got here and we realized... Why don't we just do here what they did for us there? That was the beginning eight years ago. That's where that started. It didn't start from, I want the church to be different. You can plan a church that way. They're usually not very fun to be around long term. You know, where would I start? You know, as I, start, as I think about all the great things, by the way, I, I, I believe this is true. And as a believer that thinks that you can have a thriving faith apart from being planted in a local church, you're kidding yourself any more than you can be born and just be set on the side of the road and you make it. It's just not how it works. When you're born, you're placed in a family. It's just how it is. It doesn't mean it's always perfect. I say this a lot. Jesus saved my soul, but he used the local church to redeem my life. And, and maybe you're in here and you're looking at areas of your life that this year you're, you're, you're working through. The best thing you can do is be planted. And today I'm gonna talk to you though about what happens when you take a positive step to obey God, what happens when you make a choice to be planted, all hell breaks loose. People oftentimes will come up and be like, this is the nicest church in the world, man. This is a great church. This is amazing. Everyone's so nice and they're so sweet. It's not like my last church. Those people were jerks. <laughs> and I always look at them. Just give it some time. Those people are here too. <laughs> Here's what we're going to talk about. We're gonna talk about church hurt today in a title, in a message entitled, A Church Healed. I don't even like that word. I don't like church hurt any more than I like gun violence. It's like the gun doesn't do the killing, the person does the killing. A church doesn't hurt you, people hurt you. And the church is full of people <laughs> trying to work out their stuff. So I actually don't even like that, but people use that kind of as a cop out. 
to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, they, they go to a restaurant, the service is bad, the people are mean, there's no food, and they leave, and they say, I ain't ever going back to a restaurant again. <laughs> Does that make sense? We do that a lot because hurt's real. And so I want to talk just a little bit about that because I think from that foundation, there's something about, by the way, this is also backed by neuroscience. Uh, one, of the names by, one of the names for God is omniscient. There is no difference between God's knowledge and science. It's none. That's, a, that's fake. The greatest scientists in the world love Jesus deeply. And they were trying to find out that connection, right? And so, so anyways, that's just, a, that's kind of, that's free, you know. Come to do members, so is lunch. Yeah, come on. But, but it's actually backed by this. If you, if you understand that it's coming, if you, who, who loves surprises that are negative? You just love, like, to just wake up morning, up morning and just get smacked in the face. Just, and we love that. Nobody loves it. Matter of fact, you go into fight or flight. But if you know something's coming, you can prepare your heart for it, and you can be more. The word is resilient for all my military friends. It's resiliency. By, by letting yourself experience what you're scared of or what's painful a little bit at a time, you, it actually gives you the courage. The Bible calls this faith. That's the process of faith. You take one step, man, ooh, it's a lot of faith. And he gives you another one, you take it. And then that next one, you're like, I don't know if I have the strength. Then you look back at all the other steps and you go, well, I stepped this far. He's never let me down yet. And you do it again. Does that make sense? That's pretty much faith. We, we learn that way in our life. I think as believers, as we're talking about the church, if we can just understand some things and accept some things about what it means, by the way, the benefits always outweigh the pain. Think about it in your relationships. A good marriage, right? That's at the end. It didn't start that way. But it's worth it if you don't quit. Everything you want in your life, everything you want to be, it's worth it, but it also has pain. You, you don't get, like, the good without... I say this, you don't get the sunshine without the shadow this side of heaven in any relationship that you're in. And if you can learn to just kind of accept that, then it'll allow you to, I believe, see what God wants to do in his family in a new life. So that's why I chose to talk about this uh, in the six minutes I have remaining. <laughs> Two realities about hurt in the church. If you're taking notes, write this down. By the way, I would encourage you to take notes. You're smarter with a pen. Not a thumb, a pen. It's also science. Uh, anyways, Usually, it is unintentional. You just got to accept that. Very rare people, there are those just jerks, but they're very rare. Very rarely is it in anyone's best interest to wake up and think, man, I just really want to hurt people today. Rarely is that the case, especially in church, because we've started to follow Christ. We're still working out our stuff, but it's not like people just walk in and go, you know what, I really just want to offend you by not returning a call. You know, I really just, I just, if I could say one thing in that conversation with her at church, I wanted to destroy her whole day. Most of the time, people don't think like that. Most of the time, it's unintentional. And by the way, that really matters. Lawyers would say it this way. Intent is like most of the law. Why? Because there's things that we do that we don't mean to do. And I think sometimes we look at everybody and anything that happens specifically in church as if like these are somehow this building just makes you all saints. I saw y'all in the parking lot. Y'all ain't saints. I got cut off on the way to church with a person with a bumper sticker with vintage on it today. <laughs> By the way, that's why I ain't ever putting a bumper sticker on my car. <laughs> my point is we have this like ex expectation that's just not real. 
This expectation that if you say you're a Christian, you're never ever going to do something unchristian. When that's actually antithetical to faith. Because you're a Christian because of what Jesus did, not because of how good you are. And that doesn't change after you give your life to Christ. It's actually the power for you to change in that walk with God. So it's mostly intentional. But sometimes it's intentional. We're going to talk about the intentional part. Sometimes people gossip. Sometimes there's a foul. Sometimes there's an issue. Sometimes money's mishandled. Sometimes the leader lets you down or fails. Sometimes somebody isn't who you thought they were, and they deliberately deceived you. That happens. Happens all the time. Romans chapter 16 Verse 17, the Apostle Paul says this, I make one more appeal, one more time for the love of God. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying in the text. Paul's a pastor talking to the church at Rome, the most wicked culture they're in. Some of it was getting into the church. And he literally opens up by saying, I make one more, will you just one more time, listen, this is universal, pay attention to it. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching crazy stuff that ain't biblical. Stay away from them. Verse 18, such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They're not. They are serving their own personal interests. Smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive people. This is important. If you're never in a church where inside the pastor says something, you go like this, okay, you're probably not in the right church. By the way, that's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. A pastor that's not comfortable letting his people feel that and process through that isn't doing their job. That's what the Apostle Paul's saying. This isn't just about hallelujahs and amens. This is about leaving a legacy and living a life that matters. And that's gonna take some resiliency in situations. You know, bad experiences in the church, that's what we'll call them, uh, uh, they're not new. Let me, let me just show some bad experience. Most talented church in all the New Testament, by the way, teaches us about spiritual gifts and walking in, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's all great things. Look what Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians. You could actually, I want to do a series on 1 Corinthians called Church Gone Wild. <laughs> That's what it is, man. It's like spring break, church edition. <laughs> Anyways, we'll probably have to use the next service for the recording. 1 Corinthians 3, 3 through 4. You still live as men who are not Christians. When you are jealous, you fight with each other. You're still living in sin. You're still active, acting like the world. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2. Someone has told me about a sex sin among you. It's so bad that even the godless Romans won't do it. I've been told that one of the men is sleeping with his stepmother. I'm just saying there's problems in this church. <laughs> Some big problems. Rampant sexual sin issues. The Apostle Paul didn't just address hurt. He was hurt himself. Second Timothy. I felt this a few times over the last eight years. <laughs> I can relate to him. Demas left me. He loved the things of this world. And he's gone to the city of Thessalonica. Yeah, he, he went to go live in the mountains in Denver. <sighs> Stuck me at Fort Hood. Alexander. The man who makes things out of copper. You know him. He worked hard against me, and the Lord's going to repay that brother. Come on. Watch out. He fought against every word I preached. It's a snake. It's a wolf in sheep's clothing. At my first trial, no one helped me, even those that said they were my friends. Everyone left me. Look what he said. I hope you don't hold it against him. He's talking to Timothy because Timothy knows some of these people in the church. And Paul says, yeah, hey, just because they hurt me, hey, you know what? Everything above hell is by God's grace. Don't hold that against him. I mean, like, you know, maybe sleep with one eye open anyways. So what I want to do, first of all, I want to normalize it. It's normal. Everyone take a deep breath in. 
Take a deep breath out. It's normal. Just accept it. It's there. Anything God wants to do in your life, he's going to have to use people. And you got the good and the bad of people, all in the same person. How, what do you do when, church, when hurt in church happens? The first thing you got to do is you got to acknowledge it. Write that down. You cannot pretend like it's not there. You have to acknowledge it. Now, sometimes you have to acknowledge it and realize you're a big old baby and get over it. By the way, every time something happens, you don't have to say it. Sometimes, 90% of the time, you probably just need to get over it. Okay, but sometimes you don't. Sometimes you need to be like, you know what? I'm sick of you saying that to me. And I'm going to assume that it's unintentional, but you need to stop it. You need to pull them aside, right? You need to acknowledge it. You need to be confident that God will deal with them. There are some things you can't control. Romans chapter 12, verse 19, do not take revenge. By the way, that's exactly what you feel like doing. But you get hurt. Don't take revenge. Trust God with it. Usually there's fault in you and in them. You control what you control, which is you. Okay? So important. Next, don't confuse God's people with God. This is a big one. Do not confuse God's people with God. People hurt you, God will never hurt you. People leave you, God will never leave you. Right? If, if you can separate those two, man, what God could do in and through the church. Right? Look what, second, look what Paul says to, second, to, to Timothy after he just does his little, oh, but don't hold it against them, those jerks. Look what he says in 2 Timothy 4.17. But the Lord was with me. He gave me the power to preach the good news so all people who do not know God might hear. I was taken from the mouth of the lion. The Lord will look after me and will keep me from every sinful plan they have. He will bring me safe into his holy nation of heaven. May he have all the shining greatness forever. Let it be so. You know why Paul was able to do what he did? Because he never confused God's people with God. He never confused them. Next, don't give up on all people because of some people. Don't give up on all people because of some people. Lots of people hurt Paul. Lots of people have hurt you. Lots of people have hurt me. Look what he says in 2 Timothy 4.9. Come to me here as soon as you can. Luke is the only one with me here. Bring Mark when you come. He has helped me in this work. Paul still knew he needed people. He didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Because he had a bad experience one time, he didn't throw everything out. By the way, that will work in every relationship of your life. It'll work with your job. It certainly will work in your, with your, in your home, with your family. He understood that he needed people. It's people who bring hurt, but it's also people who bring healing and help. Remember that. Yeah, people hurt you. Yeah, there's always a Judas. Even, think about that for a minute. Jesus knew the moment he called Judas to be his disciple that he was Judas. Like not just his name, like he knew he was like the Judas we know today. And he still did it. He still did it. He knew Peter was going to deny him three times. He knew everyone was going to abandon him. But he also knew that for his kingdom to move forward on the earth, they had to go through that process. Every single one of them. We're going to talk a lot about that in this series. As we close, write this down and we'll pray. Don't forfeit your purpose because of your hurt. There's a difference between wounds and scars. You are not getting out of this life without scars. Accept it. Jesus still has the scars on his resurrected body. <laughs> what are they? They're evidence that you survived, that you made it, that you can move forward. But when you leave things open like wounds, the longer they're open, the more they get infected. The quicker you can get them cleaned and get them closed, 
the quicker they can become scars and they can actually go from great pain to what the Bible calls a great testimony. And we want that to happen. 2 Timothy 4, 17, but the Lord was with me. He gave me power to preach the good news to all people who did not know God so that all people who did not know God might hear. Colossians 3, 13, make allowance for each other's fault and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Think about the worst thing anybody's ever done in your life. I have some pretty bad ones. And they don't sting anymore because I've set them next to the cross and what we did to Jesus. And I said to myself, man, if you can do that for me, what right do I have not doing that for others? Let that be a base church, a foundation of where we go in this series, but also as a church family and also in our own Christian life. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for the power of your word. I thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our spiritual family. Your presence is in this place because your people are in this place. And Father, your people desire to do your work on earth. We're honored to be a part of what you're building in the church. Father, I pray over the next weeks and months that you would reveal to each person where their place is, where they can plug in and contribute, but also mature and grow into all that you've called them to be. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed for just a minute. We're almost done, but I do believe this moment in our service is probably the most important moment that we have every single week. It's the moment where we give a place and space for people who are far from God to come near to him. Maybe you're in here and you've given your life to Christ before, but you're not living for him. If I looked at your life, it would be obvious that maybe you, maybe at one point Jesus was your savior, but today he's just your homeboy. He's just your buddy. You're not taking your faith seriously and you're far from God as a result. Maybe you're in here and you've never under, even understood what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus, but as we've opened up God's word, the Holy Spirit, by the way, that's what that is, telling you do it, telling you step, take a step, surrender your life to Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. And you're far from God and you want to make it right today. As heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to single you out. We're not going to do anything weird like that. But I do think it's important between me, you, and God that you say, you know what, Pastor, I'm far from God. I don't want to be. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just put your hand up halfway and put it right back down? Just saying, I see you. All up over the room. You're not the only one. Biggest lie the devil ever told. You're never the only one. Is there anyone else you say, join that dozen or so that just raised their hand? Just put your hand up. Just acknowledge, hey, that's me. Is there anyone else you say, that's me? I see you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In a minute, we're going to pray a prayer. We're going to pray it out loud all together. It's actually based on Romans chapter 10, verse 9 where the Lord tells us what we've got to do when we find ourselves far from him. He says, all you got to do is come back to me. Of your own free will, you just have to confess me as Lord again or for the first time. You have to believe in your heart that what the Bible says about me is true, that I died for your sins, that I rose and defeated death. And when you put yourself under my righteousness and power, all, I'm going to come back in or into your life for the first time and I'm going to help you walk out what it means to be what I created you to be. In a minute, we're going to pray a prayer based on this scripture. I want to encourage you, if you raised your hand, to say this prayer just loud enough where you can hear your own voice. It's really just a prayer expressing the reason you raised your hand to begin with. And I believe on the other side of this prayer, God's going to meet you. As a matter of fact, we're still not going to embarrass you. We're going to all pray this together. Maybe you're sitting there and you've given your life to Christ. You're following God. But you remember what it was like to be in one of their 
places. And, and I want to I encourage you, if you love Jesus in here, in order to build their faith up, I want you to pray this prayer together as well so as to encourage them. Let's say this together. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for living a perfect life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sin. I believe that you are God, and I believe that you're good. I believe you resurrected from the dead. You defeated death to give me life. And today, of my own free will, I accept your life. Today I make you my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Today, a new life starts. It's in your name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Come on, church. Put our hands together.